But each time I was doing that, I was grooving another piece of my portfolio, another tool in the toolbox. And then, you know, over time, you build this portfolio of many different works of art or whatever kind of portfolio, you know, if it's an investment portfolio or an artist portfolio, whatever metaphor that you want to use. I was building these different pieces. And then there was this like, oh, I've built something that is more, the sum is greater than its component parts, but it all kind of fits together. Hey friend, it's David Nabinski here in New York City. So excited for this podcast episode with April Rennie. Um, April's been an early thought leader in the portfolio career movement for years. Uh, she has decades of professional experience. She's a global keynote speaker and future of work. Um, she's advised numerous governments, startups, global development firms, and many more. Uh, before the pandemic, she is often traveling and she brings this kind of global perspective to her work. Uh, you'll learn how she actually first started thinking about a portfolio career and the benefits of how a portfolio career is uniquely yours and the agency and confidence that comes with that and how teaching can also be a way to easily change, transition, and build your portfolio career. She also recently gave a TEDx talk on Flux Mindset uh, which is around letting go of the future. She's also recently announced that she's officially writing a book called Flux Mindset, Disciplines to Thrive in Constant Change. As always, this episode of Timestamp Notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with April. April, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, David. Glad to be here. Uh, I guess one place I'd want to start off, April, is a quote that I think um, I've seen on your Twitter handle. I'm just kind of curious as the context behind it as a way to kind of start the conversation. What is, is, when I let go of what I am, I become what I might be. Can you maybe share how that quote resonates with you? Oh, wow. I didn't know you were going to mention that, but I got to say it is my favorite quote of not just of the moment, but it's been for a little while now. And that is a quote by Lao Tzu, who is, you know, an early Buddhist monk in China. He wrote the Tao Te Ching, or it is attributed to him. And I first heard it, perhaps no surprise, in a yoga studio, which is sort of my second home. I do practice a lot of yoga, and um, that informs a lot of what I do. And I remember the first time I heard it, you know, you're in the middle of a practice. And I have a pretty strong practice, and I remember it stopped me. I just... I froze kind of on the mat, which I would never do. And it made such sense to me because I think I was separate but parallel. I've been on this interesting quest towards what does it mean to let go? And one of the things that I've talked about and the concept that I'm exploring quite a bit, it shows up in my book and other places, but this notion of what does it mean to let go of the future? Uh, because when we talk about letting go, when you look at what we write about and what we talk about, it's always some aspect of letting go of the past, something in your past that you need to let go of. Occasionally, some aspect of the present, but you know, we're in this world of constant change and what does it mean to let go of the future or how I might phrase it differently is how do we hold the future gently? And so this quote really is this beautiful like, distillation of a lot of different aspects of that, but applied to the individual. So this notion of what does it mean to shed skins? What does it mean to peel back the layers of your own onion? What does it mean to, you know, when something cracks, that's how the light gets through. 
um, when I let go of who I am or when I let go of what I am, because you see a couple different translations, but you know, then I become what I might be in this notion of like how we're born and how we're socialized and how we're led to have a certain set of expectations and assumptions and so forth that are often dictated by society, not necessarily by our own internal drumbeats. That when you go through that process, it can be, I mean, nothing short of transformational, but also if you haven't done that yet, or if you aren't able to do that or whatever, just this notion of cracking your brain open to imagine the possible future you could have by walking through that door, so to speak. Mm. And so I definitely obviously want to talk about flux mindset and, and being gentle about the future and kind of shedding layers of the past. But I know that you've, you're obviously an expert on portfolio career and have been writing about it for a while. I'd love to just hear uh, just how you kind of got started in this. And I know a little bit we started rec- before we started recording, you talked about it, but just would love to hear for listeners some context as to how you got started in um, portfolio career type of work. Yeah, it's a wonderful question. And as I reflected on it in advance of our conversation today, it was lovely because what I realized is I think I felt the pieces or I got, I was attracted to the concept of a portfolio career long before I ever had that phrase, long before I probably knew what a portfolio was. So as I was thinking about this, I mean, how did I initially, it wasn't, how did I initially come across the benefits? It was like, I, it wasn't about me coming across it. It's more a matter of, when I was five, I was, you know, I guess many five-year-olds are very, very curious, but this sense of I was interested in everything. And as I grew up, I was still interested in everything. And then when I went to college, I changed my major seven times because I was just interested in too many things. And that was roughly, or people told me I was interested in too many things. And like, where was my focus? And where was my, you know, resolve to take a more linear path, if you will, you know, major study, get your degree, go work, et cetera, which, you know, this linear uh, study, work, retire paradigm that was really quite prevalent, especially in the 20th century, but even, you know, it's well alive and well today. So I was always interested, not just in one thing, but I was interested in the overlaps between different things. Well, what happens if you combine A and B? What happens if you study, you know, I triple major. So when I finally decided upon my major, I triple majored at graduate at the graduate level. I did a joint degree because it wasn't about one or the other. It was what can these sectors learn from one another. And so I bring that up because you know I think the writing was on the wall pretty early, but I'm not even sure if anyone was using the term portfolio career back when I was five. Then you know you know I, I went to law school. My goal was not to practice law. My goal was to take the power of a law degree and apply it to the space of global development, and in particular, economic development and financial inclusion. So I ended up as this lawyer in a space where there were lots of finance people, but they all knew that in order to get a deal done, they needed lawyers to be able to figure out the public policy. And so we don't need to dive down that, go down that rabbit hole, but this notion of becoming a bit of an oddball, but being able to apply insights from one sector into another. And then to basically do that again and again and again. And so I like to say, as I look back now, every four to five years, pretty consistently, as far back as I can look, perhaps till high school or college, I have effectively shed a skin. I have, sometimes it's been jumping off a professional cliff, 
Other times it's been taking a set of skills that I had developed and applying them, pivoting and applying them in a very different space. And candidly, when I was in my 20s and, you know, before this, the future of work and portfolio careers or even the rise of independent workers was as prevalent as it is today, I got a lot of flack from people who were, again, saying, you can't focus. Where's your discipline? And I was like, I know there's a bigger picture. I'm, I'm trying to paint a different kind of canvas that isn't about being an expert in one thing, but it is about the intersection of these different sectors, industries, disciplines, kinds of training, and so forth. And so those, now when I think about each time I jumped off a professional cliff and I shifted from, you know, from law to finance or from, I was working within financial institutions to then going and working actually on my own or applying insights from the sharing economy to the future of work. I mean, there are lots of different variations at this point, but each time I was doing that, I was grooving another piece of my portfolio, another tool in the toolbox. And then, you know, over time you build this portfolio of many different works of art or whatever kind of portfolio, you know, if it's an investment portfolio or an artist portfolio, whatever metaphor that we want to use, I was building these different pieces and then there was this like, oh, I've built something that is more, the sum is greater than its component parts, but it all kind of fits together. So, you know, the way that I would have come across the benefits was that I was going after how can I, how can I pursue and cultivate my interest in as many things as I'm interested in? And then how do those pieces fit together? And I mean, I'm definitely a work in progress and definitely learning as I go. And, you know, it's, it's all, this is very emergent. Also, I think this whole notion of a portfolio career and how it can manifest, it's very emergent. There isn't one template. There isn't one set of best practices. There isn't one recipe. So, you know, it was a way of making sense of the world, but also a way in which I was trying to keep my curiosity as alive in as many ways as possible, but also very candidly, maybe we talk about this a bit later, um, I've just always wanted a career of service where I can be of service to others and a portfolio career just kept allowing me new horizons to be able to serve. Hmm. And, and so then that's really interesting because my next question was going to be around like, you know, usually when we make transitions or try to go get a new job, especially if it is a big change, people always look at your past. And, but if you have that mindset of like, well, I'm here to serve, it seems like it'd be easier to get into those doors to be like, I'm just here to help. And not like, well, I'm, you know, I don't, I've never sold this product before. I may not have consulted in this field, but I've done these things in the past and therefore I can show you that I'll be able to do it. It's just, you're taking the approach of like, I'm just here to help. I love this. Oh my goodness, David. And you've just, you've taken me, you've taken, transported my brain to a couple different stories that I think are worth telling. So going back again to, to childhood, but um, it does really underscore the values that I, I do still hold today. And that is that growing up, my dad was a cultural geographer, which meant that he um, studied the migratory patterns of plants and animals and birds. And not surprisingly, a heavy dose of diversity is our strength and the values of sort of global citizenship and interdependence and so forth. And, and he and I were two peas in a pod. But every morning, I mean, there were a few, just a few things my parents drilled into me, the earliest memories I have. But one of them is that because I was a girl, and got to go to school, that made me one of the luckiest kids on the planet. Hmm. And, you know, I thought this was the Kool-Aid that all children were forced to drink. And then, you know, it was only when I got older that I realized that's not the case. But the fact is, so 
I was a girl. I got to go to school. I was just so lucky. And you know, that I could lose my stuffed animals and I could lose my art project. And that was okay. I still was getting an education, but because I had been so lucky to get an education as a girl, I had a duty, a sort of responsibility to give back. And for my parents, what that meant was that they sort of went as far as to say that there was very little that I could do where they would like disown me. But one of the, one of the cases in which they likely would have, I knew I would not have been welcome at home. And how they said it was that if I ever thought that my career was about me and what they meant was simply, I had been so lucky. I had this duty, this responsibility to get back to be of service to others. And they never told me what I had to do. You know, they said, you can serve in a lot of different ways. You can be a teacher, you can be a doctor, you can be an environmentalist, like there are all kinds of ways you can serve, but this isn't about you and this isn't about ego. And so I think that, you know, to your point, that, that was what I grew up believing was most important. And when you put it in that context, if my career was never about me, it wasn't about climbing a corporate ladder. It wasn't about having a fancy title. It was about how can I serve in how many different ways. And because I was interested in so many things, it is quite interesting when you pause and think about it. If I want to learn as much as I can and serve as much as I can, then you're right. You show up all the time being like, I want to help. This isn't about, you know, being more powerful or more senior than someone else. This is like, selfishly, it's like, how can I learn as much as I can? How can I nurture that curiosity? And then who else can I meet and where else might we get creative and brainstorm and try something new and so on and so forth. And in the process, it turns out that this portfolio career is also emerging. But another story that I want to tell is that throughout my 20s, because we can go back and talk a little bit about what happened in college and grad school, and so forth, but I had kind of figured out that I liked looking at these different areas and I, I, wasn't, I wasn't ADD, I wasn't ADHD as, as far as I'm aware. I just had a lot of interests. But I had people left, right, and center saying to me, to your point, your CV makes no sense. You look like a dilettante. You look like you can't focus. You look like you have no clue what you're doing. And I was, you know, fairly young at that point, in my mid-20s, late-20s, and sort of like, I think I'm, I'm painting on a different kind of palette, a different kind of canvas. I think it's going to take longer for me to figure out the different pieces of my puzzle But I think that when I have that puzzle together, it's going to be richer. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be, if nothing else, it's going to be uniquely mine and not something that was imposed on me by society, so to speak. And so that was really tough medicine to swallow, though, when people said, like, you're a dilettante, you make no sense. However, I will say that fast forward about 10 years, and there was a day, I still remember it, where the same people that had given me such a hard time in my 20s came back to me. And this is, you know, when I had started to connect some of these dots in a deeper way. And they were like, oh, now we sort of see what you're doing. And the next thing they said was, how do we do what you did? Right. And you sort of had to sit there and say, well, you you had to be able to see things a little bit differently and maybe not be so quick to judge and maybe trust your own curiosity and jump jump off a couple professional cliffs yourself. So it's interesting how things do kind of come full circle, but it did require a lot of soul searching. And I think you know, not just a small amount of of criticism. Do you think, so speaking of uh, kind of seeing different patterns and trends and things that work, do do you see kind of a correlation or connection between teaching and then consulting or advising is that maybe that's a a way to kind of get started in a new field to start teaching. And then as you keep doing that, then you become 
perceived to be a little bit of an expert and then people may ask you to become an advisor. Is that how some of your advisory work has come over the years? Oh, it's a great question. I don't know that there's one right or wrong answer for that. I would say that my there's definitely a nexus between the teaching and the speaking and and the advising and, and also the writing. I mean, each of these is an activity that fuels the other. And one thing I can say, so I do a lot of public speaking now, which I love. Um, I grew up in a family of teachers and um, had my life turned out differently, a different kind of portfolio, I would have been an academic. I think for many years, the plan was that I would go do my PhD and teach and so forth. And so I always, I, I never had a problem being in front of audiences or learning how to debate an idea or, and, you know, education being a clear path to service. That was always something I knew that would be a career I could feel really good about. But what I learned along the way was that I didn't want to be in academia. I was too interested in like getting my hands dirty in the real world and obviously traveling as well. And, you know, I just, that didn't align easily with an academic career. And I was, I, I, the more that I went down that path, the more my heart was like, nope, 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 you're going to need to create, forge some kind of other path that I didn't know at the time how, what it would look like or what I would call it, but it was more of a portfolio kind of, of um, approach. And so when, you know, the speaking builds directly on the teaching, no question. The advisory work, it's actually been really interesting because it's not, now touch wood, I, I feel very grateful that I have not done really any business development like, like prospecting. Um, my work in the advisory space has been based on word of mouth and based on referrals, but often what's interesting, often not referrals where it's like, oh, I worked with her in this context, it's just like what you need. It's really been, hey, she's got some interesting ideas and she may not, it, the way that I like to talk about, again, this portfolio or this, this toolbox of tools is that I may not be, I will never be the best lawyer or the best strategist or the best at A, B, or C for that sake. But if you need to know somebody who really understands fundamentally A, B, and C, I'm your person. And so it's this ability to see beyond a given sector, see beyond a different a given discipline. In my case, a lot of my work, so much of my work is global. So this notion of what's happening halfway around the world, you know, there's not a really easy way to find that out. And this was even pre-COVID. I would argue that today it's actually a bit harder because of the lack of travel. But this, you know, my advisory work came from people saying, we are too stuck in our own silo. We are too close into the forest to be able to see the trees. And we need some, I'm often called a sort of insider outsider, where I understand a discipline or a given type of, you know, a given sector enough, but I'm not coming with a set of, you know, biases and assumptions that those who have spent their career in it are steeped in. And so this outsider where I'm trusted because they're like, we look at you, you, you see differently and you can connect dots that we can't connect and often we don't even see them. And so that's been really interesting. It does build on my speaking. It does build on my writing. Those are tools for advocacy and visibility to some, to some degree. But most of all, it's been just through, I say relentless, but not, not as a strategy, just as something, speaking of curiosity, I love to meet new people. It's been through building that network and then sharing news out there about what I think and how I think about it and so forth. And that has led to, you know, as I think about the advisory engagements I've had, as I think about the new topics I've gotten interested in, it's really been through that network effect, which 
I can't button down into one specific business model, but I can tell you one of the things I love most about a portfolio career and being, um, you know, an independent professional is that there's no one to tell me I can or can't do something. There's no one to tell me we can't tweak a business model this way or that way because we need to make something work. It's like, I come not with a beginner's mindset always, but for me, every engagement I do is seen with fresh eyes. And it's sort of, you know, how do we make this work best for all parties concerned and drawing on an increasingly diverse portfolio of other examples. Hmm. That's really interesting about the writing and, and speaking. And, and one idea that I've been thinking about a bunch is this idea of like being like one email away from meeting a new friend, a new collaborator, and just like a trajectory could change. And you kind of look back on a couple of years and you're like, yeah, I don't know, it's just because of this one person or this one thing. Um, do you have any examples of maybe some serendipity or luck that's kind of happened from one new friend or one, one email, anything like that? Oh my goodness. Well, I mean, this is the, the there's a movie, I think sliding doors. <laughs> if you're familiar, like, and if the sub, the subway doors opened and you got on the subway and you met somebody and your life changed forever. And then this, it actually stars Gwyneth Paltrow. So I'll just sort of out that it is a movie. I, I haven't seen it, but the analogy comes up often. And if you had missed that sliding door, you would have never gotten on the subway. You would have never met that person and you would have never, you know, fill in the blank. So Oh goodness, there are a couple different directions I could take this with differing levels of sort of sobriety. Um, oh gosh, there are many examples of where I've had strokes of insight. So on the one hand, I've had sm smaller examples. I still remember when I was in grad school being at a career fair and I had my schedule laid out for me. And you know, then there was this side session that I was like, it was about microfinance and financial inclusion. And that was not, I was sort of on this different track around international trade and so forth. It was a side session and my gut said, go there. Well, let me just tell you that that one side session that had very little to do with the reason I was in New York City ended up transforming not only what I did that summer for an internship, but then not only how I ended up getting multiple offers upon graduation and not only how I ended up spending more than a decade of my life focused on financial inclusion, it all goes back to this random side session that I wasn't even supposed to be at, but that I decided to sort of crash and, you know, show up uninvited and it changed everything. So part of that was just, you know, trusting my gut, but I also knew, you know, knew a person who knew this person who had said, oh, that's maybe interesting, which you know, I candidly could have just as easily written off. But I said, go for it. You know, it's this whole notion of like, why, why would you do something? And then I always respond with, well, why not? Right. And I think it's so easy for us to come up with reasons today well, why I shouldn't do something. And if we continue to live with this notion of, you know, you might've heard the phrase don't should on me, which is, you know, what I should or shouldn't do is none of anyone else's business candidly uh, when it, when it comes to things like professional development. And uh, so that's like a micro version of, of, what kind of serendipity that's intervened in my life, just trusting myself. Other times there have been things that have happened to me that it's like, okay, how do you respond? And so I mentioned earlier that I was um, on this sort of academic track and my parents were both educators. And then when I was in college, I think the, the, the biggest shock to my life that I've ever experienced to this day happened. And that is that both of my parents um, were killed in a car accident. And I know I just sort of dropped that, but it's something I'm really 
happy, candidly, to talk about today because it taught me so much. But why I bring this up, so this was incredible tragedy and having to all of a sudden rebuild my, my life, my, <laughs> my future, my family, my sense of home, my sense of purpose. Like, what was I supposed to do? And so I had been on this academic track, lose both my parents. And, you know, you can't go through any, I don't think anywhere in the U.S., you can't go through a car accident that kills two people and not have lawyers involved. Um, you have to, you know, it's a criminal investigation. It's sort of, there are things that have to happen. And what if I told you that that tragedy, when my parents died, I didn't know a single lawyer. I'd never been to a funeral. I, it was all foreign to me. And then because I had to work through the legal system to better understand what had happened to my parents, I learned the power of a law degree. And I learned what it's like to empower others through knowledge of what their rights are and aren't and kind of how the pieces fit together. And also just realizing how much of a victim within that system I could be and my sister was just the two of us. So I share this because it's not, can't really call it serendipity, mm -hmm. but that led directly to my wanting to go to law school. And my law degree has proven to be one of the most malleable, useful pieces of my portfolio than I ever could have dreamed of. But if you had asked me back then, I mean, law school, never mind, it wasn't even going to happen. It was the least interesting thing I could think of. It was dry, it was arcane, it was like courtrooms. I realized, you know, law isn't just about courtrooms. Law is also about how do we build business better? How do we design public policy better? How do we think about underrepresented voices, et cetera, et cetera. And so a lot of people today don't realize that I'm a lawyer because I don't practice law, but it is a fundamentally important part of my portfolio that gets a lot of doors opened, candidly, but also that wouldn't have happened but for the serendipity that came out of tragedy. And so for me, I'm always, I like, I'm looking with that broader lens and I go, wow, not that I would ever want for my parents to die. I don't wish that on anybody. But life deals you that set of cards. And to be able to see through it and be like, how do I make sense of this? But then over time, how does this turn into just a wonderful, beautiful thing in my life? Because of, you know, again, a stroke of serendipity, albeit bittersweet. Yeah. Yeah, we, we were talking a little bit before also as well about how when I lost my dad, how, how it changed me. You know, I think I, I grew up then is, is, is one way that I look at it. Um, and so, you know, it's interesting to think about what, what would be, you know, or what could have been, but that's, that's not the case. And I think that this actually ties into um, some of the more recent work that you've been doing, which is around a flux mindset and where we, we kind of started the conversation a little bit, but um, yeah, we'd love to just dive a little bit deeper into this, this concept of like, the future is something that you can't change and we always regret the past and we always think about the past, but what about the future? And we'd love to hear some context around like if flux mindset and change is a given, what could we do to build, what skills could we build? What experiences could we build that help us? You mentioned your law degree, but could help us with our portfolio careers as we go forward. Yeah, this is a wonderful question. Thank you so much. And I'm actually now glad that I, that I, shared the story about my parents already, because what I can say is like, that was my entry into a world in flux. It was not at a point where I was trying to curate my career or, I mean, I was 20. So I was, 
I was old enough to have some ideas and I had, I was living away from home. I was at college, but I was young enough to like, not really have a clear sense of how the world works and not really have begun my professional journey. And so that was my entry of like, how do you put one foot in front of the other when everything you thought was going to happen, like the future I thought I was going to have, the future I think my parents would have imagined for me, like it kind of melted, right? When they died, it was just like, okay, now what? And a couple interesting things happened. I mean, I joke now, many years later, that I, I didn't ask for it. It was sort of thrust upon me, but I had the equivalent of a midlife crisis when I was 20 based on the kinds of questions that I see people having midlife crises now asking, you know, the sense of like, what really matters? And not to sound morbid, but if I were to die tomorrow, which is totally possible because look what just happened, would I have lived a meaningful life? Would I, would my time on this planet have mattered? And so it kind of very existential, but it took me on this journey um, from that point forward, which ended up being a very atypical, unconventional career path where, you know, candidly, portfolio thinking blends really well today. I can say that in hindsight, but at the time it was this sort of like, who are you? This looks crazy, right? So I like to joke that I would not have used the term future of work. I would not have predicted some of the shifts and trends that we see playing out today with the rise of independent workers and remote work and work, work from anywhere and so forth. But I, that grooving that I was doing truly through my process of grief and trying to understand and make sense of the world actually prepared me pretty well for the future of work. Now, fast forward to today. So this notion of a flux mindset. So my entry into a world in flux was quite personal. Then for the last seven years, I've worked on my own as an advisor and I speak and I write and really looking at the future, primarily looking at this from the perspective of the future of business, um, but what that means for you know, innovation as well as things like public policy, the future of work, which isn't just portfolio careers, but looking at, you know, again, work from home, looking at automation, so on and so forth. And then um, also, you know, I get involved in sectors like transportation and mobility and travel and like the future of all of those things. So kind of an interesting seat at the at the 50 yard line. And, you know, one of the things, and I, I say all of this pre-COVID, and one of the main constants is that this is, all of these things are undergoing change. And one of the, one of my favorite quotes, along with Lao Tzu, is that, you know, the pace of change has never been as fast as it is today. And yet it's unlikely to ever again be this slow. And if you just pause and sit with that, you're kind of like, oh man, it's sort of terrifying, right? And yet when you look around at what society tells us we need to do in order to deal with an increased pace of change, society pretty much tells us you need to run faster. You need to keep up. You need to cope. You need to run. You need to get on that hamster wheel and just keep going. And I'm looking at this saying, if this is what we know how the future is going to play out, you know, at best, this looks like burnout. At worst, this looks like absolutely none of us reaching our full potential because we're too busy running versus actually pausing, hitting the pause button to say, what really matters and how do I want to spend my one precious life? You know, to quote the poet Mary Oliver. So I'm looking at this going, all right, this is pre-COVID. And then in fairness, you know, COVID happens and it's like, okay, a world in flux. <laughs> yes, you're right. And we need help. Now, it's interesting as we reflect on the last three months, I think it's very clear that humans 
we are incredibly adaptable. You think about how much adaptation we've undertaken in the last three months. It's incredible, really. However, we've done that because we've really been thrust into it, forced into it, a kind of sink or swim situation. On the whole, humans are not that great at change. <laughs> it's not something we naturally lean into. And so I've been looking at this, you know, guided by my personal story, sitting at the 50-yard line for many years now of, you know, various manifestations of this professionally, but saying, okay, if we're looking at a future of a lot of change and we're living it and experiencing it and struggling with it a lot, at the end of the day, this is all about the mindset that we have as to how we see change, how we not just navigate it, but how can we learn to thrive in it? And so that's where this concept of a flux mindset comes about. And a flux mindset is, in effect, it is a bundle of eight different disciplines. We can talk about why I picked the word discipline very intentionally but eight different disciplines that help us understand and learn how to flux better. And just a side note, flux is both a noun and a verb. The noun is sort of a, a world in flux, right? Flux is continuous change. The verb to flux, I love this, this word. The verb to flux means to learn to become fluid, to learn the flow. And so it's sort of like, if you think of a mindset, as our state of mind. It's also, I like the, the metaphor of a muscle, right? It's a muscle that we need to train. It's a way that we sort of, we groove this muscle to think differently, see differently, act differently, and so forth. And so this notion of a flux mindset is these different disciplines together that help us navigate and thrive and change. Now, coming back to portfolio career, portfolio career is actually very distinctly one of these disciplines. And, you know, the disciplines range from, so run slower is another one that we, I mentioned briefly before, uh, this notion of learning to let go of the future, but the ability to create your own portfolio career is actually a discipline. Now, it's a little bit unique in that it's not like run slower, which is quite broad. I mean, portfolio career is very specifically about your professional development, but there is a personal growth component to it as well. And so... Basically, I don't want to call it my thesis, but the, the foundation of this is that moving forward, people who have portfolio careers and simply who know what it means to create and curate a portfolio career are going to be much better placed, not just in the future of work, but in a future of constant change. Beautiful. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, um that might be a good way to, to start to wrap up. Um, yeah, it was a little bit of a mic drop type of moment. Um, but, um, well, I want to thank you, David, for like this opportunity to talk about these things because it's, you know, how do I say this? I've been, I've been noodling on these concepts and themes for quite some time. And I've been right again, working on a book since before COVID, but COVID has been the great accelerant, just like it is for so many other things. But I'm just starting to share these ideas more broadly. And so I just want to just say thank you for providing this Petri dish, this venue, this you know, space where I can share some of this and, and also be really clear in that it's really messy, right? Mm. It's, we're all still figuring this out. But gradually, you start seeing it. It's sort of like learning. I don't know if you ever took an astronomy course, but it's like you start looking and at first it's like you, it's this, this galaxy of like stars. It's just this mass and like the Milky Way and it's all murky and whatever. And then you learn how to identify some constellations. And then you learn the difference between a star and a planet. 
And then every now and then you see a shooting star, you know, and you sort of like, you start making sense of this very, very messy space. It doesn't mean that now we can predict and control the galaxy. It just means that, you know, we have a better sense of our orientation and positioning. Hmm. I haven't heard that analogy before. I like that one a lot too. Um, to be candid, I haven't actually used it. I think <laughs> it's to me, so <laughs> I might have to use it again. <laughs> Please. Um, well, thank you so much, April. Please let listeners know where they can um, follow up and learn more about your work and stay in touch. Sure. So I am. Uh, I would love to hear from anyone who finds any of this of interest. I'm easy to find. Uh, my name is April Rinney. Last name is spelled R-I-N-N-E. I am the only person with my name as far as I'm aware. So my website is aprilrinney.com and my email is april at aprilrinney.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, April. Pleasure. Thank you, David. Hey friend, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. Wanted to also let you know about my monthly newsletter called One Email Away, where I fundamentally believe that we are all one email away from new opportunities. And if there's a way that I could potentially help you to connect with other people, I would love to do that. So one email away, um, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. You can also see the one email away section, but just want to take this moment to say thank you for, for listening to this episode. Really excited for us to build and grow our portfolio careers together.